Brittany Ross, and I play the fiddle. I'm Catherine Flincham, and I play the pipe. And together, we are Fiddle and Pipe. Two classical musicians who are reading and discussing topics beyond the staff. So grab a book, take a seat, and tune in. Welcome to another episode of your favorite podcast, Fiddle and Pipe. I'm Brittany Ross. Of course it's your favorite podcast. That's Catherine Flincham. What else are you listening to? It's me. And we have with us today Matt Richards of Mmm Conversations. Hello. The tastiest of all conversations. Just let us adore you. T to the A to the S-T-E, white girl, you tasty. That was a completely different song than what I was singing, but okay. Y'all got this. It's okay. You know, we don't all need to be on the same page, but we actually probably should be on the same page because today we are talking about the last, was it like three or four chapters of The Opposite of Butterfly Hunting? Whoa, you did a book pun. Oh, wait, this is an audio medium. I'm like doing like finger guns and like dumb face. I was like, yay. Yes. Oh, can you just pause there and do that again one more time? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Take two. I'm screenshotting this and... Can I stop? Save it. Yeah, yeah, you can stop. Okay, good. (laughs) I was like... How, how long? I might put this up on social meds, so. Social mead? Is that like social wine and social beer? Yeah, social drinking. Mm, yeah, it's super tasty. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. Which, if you like social drinking, hop on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash fiddle and pipe, and you can listen to our happy hour podcast where we socially drink and shoot the shit. With an arrow. Yes, exactly. But we should probably talk about our book. Um, the opposite of butterfly hunting. Um, this was a roller coaster end to a roller coaster book. This was a lot of meat, and it really got me. Did you cry? Yeah, I didn't cry, but I was teary, misty. I was touched, and I don't like saying that phrase, but because it makes it sound like you got molested. Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> Ivana Lynch touched you. She touched you. I mean, I, I, and I guess it also, to me, it sounds like corny, like, oh, it touched me, but it really did touch my heart. Yeah, I found it really heartwarming in a way that mm-hmm. I didn't expect it to be. Ivana sets up the book saying that, you know, real life isn't like fairy tales. This doesn't end like a fairy tale, but the realizations that she comes to is like, wow. And I know we talked last episode about how she kind of turns the whole premise of an eating disorder into something that basically anyone can relate to even if you don't have like an eating disorder or like a predisposition towards one and her epiphanies are also extremely relatable too i love her writing i hope she writes more stuff after this i've been meaning to like look up her podcast chick peeps apparently hasn't really been updated since 2021 so i'm not sure what's going on but she did a recent interview back in may on um i probably gonna say her name wrong and i'm gonna go on spotify mayim balik she's um, on the big bang theory she's hosting she was doing the jeopardy amy farrah fowler amy farrah fowler blossom other people might know her as blossom but she has her own podcast and i put this on my episodes really quick she did an interview with ivana back in may and it was really good. I just listened to it. So I guess the podcast is called Mayim Balik's Breakdown. I'm probably pronouncing her name wrong. I apologize. I think it's Bialik. B 
Bialik. Okay, Bialik. Yeah, something like that. Mayhem Bialik's Breakdown. And the episode is Ivana Lynch, Take Up Space. I would highly recommend listening to this, you guys, um, or anybody that's read this book or has been following along on the podcast with this um, book in general. But Ivana kind of goes over how she's, like, wanting to write more, I guess, like, fiction. Because she's really into books. And so she said she was like, I don't think I want to do a nonfiction, but I think we might see something. I'd read it. That's probably something that she's possibly pursuing like writing more books i think i would definitely be into it so i I love her writing style she writes so beautifully and she has a fantastic talent for conveying really complex emotions thoughts and feelings it's just her writing is incredible like anyone who wants to be a writer i feel like they should read this book read it honestly let us know what you think I guess before we get even deeper into this episode, I probably should have done this on the top and editing Brittany can maybe take care of that in the future. Trigger warning as per all these other uh, butterfly hunting episodes, um, eating disorders, anorexia, there might be other trigger warnings. Just look at the show notes, maybe pause, look at the show notes if you're worried something's going to trigger you and then we'll just uh, keep on moving forward. But yeah, I would love, I would love to read anything else that she wrote. Honestly, like her writing style's amazing. So chapter nine, we start out with Ivana definitely doesn't want to go back down the path of anorexia. Can we just add that quote from Britney Spears? Would you like to read it? (laughs) Okay, let me find the page. Hold up. Didn't write down. Is it hit me, baby, one more time? My loneliness. Is killing me. That is a that is a quote that hit me hard right there. I must confess, I still believe, still believe. I it really did. Or oops, I did it again. Oh, mm. hi Bartok. Oh, there's Bartok. Hi. Bella Bartok. This quote is a little bit further down the road into our millennial high school days. If anybody remembers the good old year of two thousand eight. I remember it very clearly, but anyway. I remember it like it was yesterday. As the... <laughs> I remember it like it was yesterday. I think I was a freshman <laughs> in high school, if I remember correctly. It's a sophomore. Freshman, sophomore? Yeah, yep. Sounds about right. Sophomore, junior. As the noted philosopher Britney Spears sang, there's only two types of people in the world. The ones that entertain and the ones that observe. That's true. Sorry. I think since we're all musicians <laughs> and we also have a podcast, we're probably on the entertaining side. At least I hope we're entertaining. I hope we are. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> Let us know if you think we're entertaining. The reason why I guess like Ivana quoted this because she says that there are some of us who live to love others and there are others who live to be loved. Yeah. And then I think she says... Is it later in this chapter or maybe in chapter 10 or 11? I don't know. But she kind of says the same thing in her own words where she said, she's like, at this point, we all know the inherent desire either to love or be loved. And everyone has both of those, Mm -hmm. but leans more in one direction or the other. Yeah. Like it's either more important for you to show love to others or to get it. It's true, though. It is true. I feel sometimes both ways. I think it depends on the time. 
and the circumstance. So it's very true. Mm -hmm. She she calls you out on that. She does. I mean, yeah, people people definitely go back and forth. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. it, yeah, I guess it's which one you're choosing to value almost. Yeah. Yeah, and it can change and it's flexible. And it's also, I think, part of learning to, and she gets into this in this chapter and all the other, they all kind of connect. There's like this underlying theme between these last few chapters where she discusses how it is much easier to love others than it is yourself. And in order to be loved, you need to like learn to love yourself. Yes. And I've heard this before. Mm -hmm. Not just here. Yeah, that's, that's something we've all heard before in other forms. It's it's not a new piece of advice. She does kind of put a spin on it in a way. Right. Sorry, I'm watching Bartok just. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for him to move so that way you wouldn't hear like little kitty pitters. Oh, actually, Brittany, that podcast episode that podcast episode I just mentioned about. I think it's really funny because in the middle of it. Ma'am is like, oh, is that a cat? And I guess, like, a monologist cat is in the background. <laughs> I just thought that was funny because I was sitting there and I'm like, that's something that probably we would do on Fiddle and Pipe. And also, Bart- Bartok is very insightful when it comes to books. You know, he really is, is very smart. He really is. When it comes down to it. But I just don't think he's patient enough to sit there and read a book, unfortunately. I don't think he can read a book. <laughs> unfortunately, no, he can't read. Uh, maybe an audiobook. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, an audio book was probably suit him. Yeah, we'll see if we can start him out on that. Maybe we can have him as our next guest. Could you imagine? He'd be sitting here like... (laughs) Oh, that was very insightful, Bartok. Thank you so much. (laughs) He, like, does it in Morse code. Oh, Lord. With his pets. I'd have to buy a new mic cover every time I had him here. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh man. Oh. After the Britney Spears quote, chapter nine is essentially about Ivana trying to find new ways to define herself outside of just being the anorexic girl. Yep. She becomes Sagittarian. Mm-hmm. She also dyes her hair, bleach blonde, and she becomes hardcore into Harry Potter fandom, which... I definitely remember hearing about this when she got hired. And this is going back to our conversation previously about how people have a desire to love or be loved. And I think she says, basically, we've we've talked previously about how anorexia and other eating disorders, a lot of their root comes from a sense of like worthlessness and being small and insignificant and not feeling self-confident. That kind of self-hate almost manifests in some people as eating disorders. So obviously she doesn't have a lot of self-love, So, but she does have like the love and energy in her because I think everyone does. So instead of pouring it into herself, she wants to pour it into others, which is why she becomes a super fangirl. And it's also easier to love celebrities because you just, you see them and they're always pretty and... They have makeup on and they're like at their best and they're in media that you love and 
Especially, like, when you're watching, like, a series that is happening in real time, I guess, because they were filming it in real time, and it's, like, a really popular book series, and, I, I mean, I don't know, when I was reading these chapters about, we're gonna get, get further in, I was getting all hyped up about, I really want to reread Harry Potter again, because, like, when you get into that, like, realm, that book, it's, like, wow, I'm in it, I feel, like, inspired, and I want to know the people that are part of this. It's, I can see, like, how it's so... Captivating? Captivating. It's, like, a distraction in a way. Those uh, actors were all, like, one or two years older than us. So it was, like, literally them growing up with us. As, Mm -hmm. you know, the last movie came out the summer of my senior year of high school, so it was, like, the perfect cap. You're like bawling your eyes out because your childhood is over? Yeah, it's it's like perfect timing and that yep, and then it's like, well, there goes your childhood. You're done now. It's over. And it, it it was like the nice little bow. Um, but I think what you were saying uh about celebrities, like we admire celebrities because we see mm-hmm. you know, we only see them or at least this is how it used to be. We only used to see them in like glammed up mode right like oh their lives are so fabulous and oh they have it all and oh this and that excuse me but through throughout this book and throughout other memoirs that i've read it's like peeling back that curtain and it's allowing them to be honest for like for some of them it's like the first time and you see that there's layers to what this person had to go through to get to the point they're at. They didn't just magically show up and be like, hey, I'm Luna. I have a great life. Right. The Harry Potter fandom loves me and all that. You know, it showing the journey, I think part of why this book speaks to so many people is because it's just her being brutally honest. I think that's the best thing about it is the honesty and the way she just takes what she went through and just says, this is what happened. Take it or leave it. That's why celebrities are so easy to love, though, is because we see them at a distance. Love is hard. Love is so hard. Loving anyone. I mean, I've been with David for nine years and like marriage takes work. Like my you two are some of my closest friends and we've been in disagreements and arguments And I love you both dearly. And it's when you can't see anyone's flaws, they're so much easier to love. It's so much more of a shallow relationship. And I think that's why it's easier for some people to love not just celebrities, but like authors and musicians and politicians and these people that you see in the limelight. And for the most part, all you see is their the good things about them instead of all the dark stuff behind that you usually only see in very intimate relationships. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think that's part of getting older, too, because when you're younger, obviously, you know, you're not aware. You you may not be aware of all the things going on with people, all the uh, hardships. And so to just see, like, for me, for example, I loved and still love Emma Watson because she's wonderful. But... As a kid, it was just like, oh, she's the beautiful, you know, girl who played my favorite character in the movies. And 
and oh my god she she's a supporter of all this stuff and she does charity work and you just see her doing all that stuff and you're just like oh she's wonderful Mm -hmm. but as you get older you it kind of what's the word kind of dawns on you that they're real people the obsession goes away and you you kind of just see them as a person and i still admire her a lot obviously but it's that can I chime in? Because this is like, I'm just kind of like hopping off what you said about Emma Watson because I felt the same way with Hayden Christensen back in middle school. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because but... I remember seeing, like, after watching, I guess it had to be like Revenge of the Sith because that's when I was like, oh, Hayden Christensen's hot. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he was not, and he's not in Jack of Clones. He's... Well, it's because he had a rat tail on his head. Exactly. <laughs> he has a rat tail. It's 1993 for him. And um, I think I saw a video on YouTube where he said fuck. And back in the day, like in middle school for me, I'm like innocent little 12-year-old Catherine. And I don't say fuck. <laughs> so She said as she said fuck. <laughs> yeah. And so when he said that word, I was just sitting there like, oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> like my whole like image of him was like completely shattered. i'm sure i'm sure you remember uh you remember the natalie portman music video no where she like uh-huh. it was like a i think was it an snl skit or something oh oh was it i just had sex no it wasn't that one but it was just like in my pants no she was i'm thinking lonely island stuff yeah not no. normal other snl things sorry my dick in a box we're we just gonna list no. other ones i'm just gonna name all all, the, all of their stuff i think this is later i think this is post star wars <laughs> yeah but th- this is like after she shaved her head for v for vendetta oh um, okay but uh it was basically her i think lonely island had to have been in this let me let, let me see if i can see find his card i remember her being on SNL for V like after she well, I guess when she was promoting V for Vendetta because I remember she had her shaven head like when she was doing the monologue or something like that or intro yeah. I don't remember specifics though but it was it was basically her rapping about how she was doing drugs and cheating on tests when she was at Harvard and it was like meant to like shed her good girl image I guess oh Interesting. I didn't know she went to Harvard. Yeah, she went to Harvard, and she was basically just like, fuck all of you, and it was just hilarious. I don't know how much of it was actually true, but she just did it just to be like, hey, fuck all you people. Oh, Natalie Portman. I mean, as much as I kind of give her crap for not watching Star Wars when she took on the role of a Star Wars franchise, but she's a great actress person, I think. But yeah, yeah. The, and I liked her costumes in Attack of the Clones, so, you know. They were good. We should go back to... <laughs> we need to get away from Star Wars. Like, <laughs> Different franchise. Go back to Harry Potter. <laughs> Yvonne Lynch. Harry Potter. <laughs> but yeah, like we were saying, it's like celebrity. We're, we're not trying to, like, idolize celebrity. Because that is different than loving someone, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when you're seeing a celebrity from afar, you're just, oh, I admire them. But if you were to actually meet them, they would. like if I were to actually meet Emma Watson, I don't know that we would be friends. I don't know that like. Yeah, they they wouldn't be who you think they are. Yeah, like we we build up this idea of people that we see on screen and in music videos and all that. And Nirvana kind of goes through that as well when she gets cast as Luna. We're jumping ahead of a lot of stuff, but I guess if we. I don't know. We're kind of on the discussion vibe, so I don't know if you want to keep that on. But 
if we wanted to go back and kind of recap everything that had happened. Basically, she tries to audition for Harry Potter. Um, J.K. Rowling basically gives her an address to the casting agency crew. Tells her to write to the casting director. And she does. And then she also makes like an audition tape, like goes all out Mm -hmm. and does like an audition tape for Luna Lovegood. And it's sad because she gets rejected because she's Irish, which is, come on, come on, Warner Brothers. Well, the original goal of the movie was to only cast British people. I think that was a direction from JK. Yeah, it was. Uh, so she gets rejected because she's Irish and not British. Because... Different countries. Which is weird because I think some people, I don't know, does Scottish count as English? Uh, it's part of the UK, I think. I guess, yeah, I guess that would be included. Because there's some Scottish actors. Because Maggie Smith is Scottish, isn't she? I, I don't know, but I know Michael Gambon, I'm pretty sure, is Irish. Oh, well, Scotland, I just looked it up, and Scotland is part of the UK. Okay, so maybe that. Yeah, it's part of the UK. I guess it would be, uh, let me, Maggie Smith. She's from... Scotland, right? No, she was born in no, she was born in London, England. She just could make a really good Scottish accent. <laughs> yeah, but either way, Michael Gambon, he's <laughs> believable. Michael Gambon is Dumbledore. He was already Irish, so like he was already part of the movies. Maybe Northern Ireland because Northern Ireland Ireland is also part oh, of the UK. I guess it says Irish English. Irish English. So, I don't know. Yeah. And where Ivana's like located is actual Ireland. Mm, where, okay. So, well, I guess that that's technically different. I think they just need to be as straightforward as America, where we know what America is and isn't. Do we, though? Because there's... Totally ignoring, like, Puerto Rico and all the islands that we have that yeah. aren't actual states. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, but there's still debate among that, too, so, you know. That was the joke. Uh, God, you all are bad no. at picking up jokes today. I'm... Damn. <laughs> It's Monday. What are you supposed to like? What are you supposed to expect, Brady? It's Monday. Fine. No jokes. This is gonna be a completely straight <laughs> yes. episode. Wait. We're just gonna tell you exactly what happened. <laughs> That's it. Uh, so speaking of what happened, what happened was, so Luna got rejected, and then she was kind of like, "Oh, that sucks." And then she logged on to the some Harry Potter fan page website to see that there was a final. Like, open casting call? Well, no, before that, there was, like, a final announcement. Oh. Like, there were five finalists, five girls who were being considered to play Luna. And then she logged on to the same site, I think, a few months later, and she found out that there's an open casting call in Westminster for girls who are British or Irish and are ages, like, 13 to 16. Dun-dun-dun. I remember hearing about this. I remember it was a big deal. Did you try to do it? No, I had friends that tried (laughs) American friends? <laughs> I... Yeah, I was about to say, they're from America? Yeah, I had American friends. Because I think there was something, too, that um, I think it was Luna Lovegood and Marietta Edgecombe. That was another name that I forgot about. That I had a friend... Obviously, the Marietta Edgecombe character does not show up in the film. I guess they cut her out, but I just remember, like, they were both, like... I had two friends that were really excited and they wanted to try anyway. <laughs> And I was just sitting there, and I'm like, okay, good luck. Because <laughs> I knew, one, I would not pass this Luna Lovegood, and two, I'd be better off being a Weasley, and I'm okay with that, so. I mean, it'd be fun just to say that you did it. Like, how's your British? You know, that you, like, tried to do it? Hello, my name is Ginny Weasley. <laughs> I don't know. 
Wow, we're really getting off of tangents today. Harry Potter episode. But she, but basically, she goes to the casting call. Her mom's like, I don't, I'm kind of like Wait. terrified for you to do this kind of deal because her mom's afraid that she's going to get rejected. But her dad's like, let's go. Her, her mom's like, you know, you put so much weight on the Harry Potter series as like the thing that helped you <laughs> overcome like a lot of your problems. No, no pun intended. So if you don't get it, I'm worried it's going to be ruined for you. No, no, pun, no pun intended. Yeah. What was the pun? You said you put a lot of weight on the Harry Potter franchise. Oh. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, that was really bad. <laughs> we gotta get our shit together, everyone. <laughs> so, she goes with her dad to England, and she says that she thinks she's gonna get it because she views it as trying to protect and correctly portray Luna because Luna, the character, means a lot to her uh, because it's a character that she identifies with very strongly and wishes that she could be. So they basically take a bunch of girls in and then they pick from those girls, I think, the ones that look physically like they can portray Luna. She's picked out of the girls. It's like a handful of them who can physically portray her. Yeah, kind of chiming in on what you just said about how she's, like, looking at the girl, like, other girls and stuff, like, seeing how many other people are, like, auditioning and how Luna means a lot to her. I like how she quotes, it's on page 338, they don't need Luna like I do. I was like, damn, she is bold. She is, like, this is my goal. I'm getting it. Very nice. The kids who are handpicked are then basically told to read lines as Luna and she reads the scene several times and they seem pretty impressed and then they end up calling her back for a second audition that's totally paid for by Warner Brothers and so she takes another trip to England with her dad and it's funny because she said that they had like a super beat up suitcase with like a one wheel who didn't that didn't work and then there was like a fancy ass limo driver holding up their last name Lynch and he grabs their really shitty suitcase and he's trying to make it look like it's fine he's like struggling with it it's like kind of what you would expect out of like a movie Mm -hmm. kind of where it's like the story of someone that's like small town person makes it big kind of yeah i don't have like anything specific in mind but it's just kind of like one of those kinds of movies that you would see like a comedy movie kind of thing kind of trope that you would see yeah like i'm thinking like princess diaries even though it's like different storyline but she was an average girl Mm -hmm. turned to royalty she was just a small town girl living in a lonely world (laughs) quoted by journey so and then she basically gets to the set she meets daniel radcliffe which is i don't know about y'all but i was like my heart just went like oh daniel radcliffe i would like to meet daniel radcliffe hell yes i would also like to meet daniel radcliffe (laughs) she does like an audition with uh, Daniel and David Yates, who's the head director of the Order of the Phoenix movie. Um, and she doesn't improv as Luna. And then they're like, okay, we'll call you back. And she felt like she didn't do well in the improv either. So she's like freaking out. What is it? David Yates gives her like an autograph or like a, a signed copy, a personal copy of the Order of the Phoenix. And he writes like a note saying, you did really well. And she's just like sitting there like 
this is awful. Like, this is... She's like, this is so patronizing. <laughs> like, I already have four copies of this book. What the hell? <laughs> but when I'm thinking about it, like, don't you ever think about that when you, like, finish an audition? And it's like, afterwards, you're just, like, thinking, like, oh, this is so terrible. <laughs> or I did so bad. Or you had a really good audition, but you didn't make it. And you're just like, oh, like, this was terrible. I felt like that. It's super relatable. Performers can relate. Yeah, for sure. It's mm-hmm. like a mood. I was like, yeah, I... It just makes me feel like we're, we're our own worst critics and like little things that we notice internally. And this is just something that I'm learning for myself. We get in our heads a lot and it just kind of felt like she got in her head a little bit. She did this one thing. I mean, granted, it's like, yeah, we know that it's for an audition of like a role for a film. So she's not really sure like if she made it, but... It seemed like she was doing really well up to this that point where she did the improv, and it just seemed like a small bit. I don't know how much improv takes part in acting as much, because I'm not an actor. I know in some instances, like The Office, they did a lot of improv in some ways. Also, yeah, some people are trained to do that. Like, if you're not trained to do that, it's hard. Yeah, and I guess, like, to her, because she wasn't as comfortable with improvisation, she, I think, immediately was like, oh, I did terribly. Like, I didn't get the part. This is over. I had a good experience. She also has, like, no formal experience as an actress in general. She has no schooling. It caught her off guard. She's like a regular Joe, basically. It's like like sight reading and audition. But it just made me feel like she's, like, her own worst critic in that way. And I think we can all relate to that. It's easy to be fall into that trap. And I think that's not just people who are... In the performing arts, um, I think in general, we are our own worst quit- critic because we have to put up with ourselves 24-7. But I think you do see that a lot more in people who do work in the performing arts because it is so hard to not critique every single thing you do. And it's just very competitive, it's too. so competitive. We're trained to, like, hyper-analyze everything we do. And it's also, like, yeah. from the standpoint of this is her dream role. It's one thing if you're just auditioning for, like, a nothing role. But this is, like, her favorite character that, like... She was really invested in it. Yeah, this is everything for her. Yeah, she has everything to lose. Like, what was it? When she was standing in line, she mentioned that she brought the book and she was reading lines, like, from the book mm-hmm. itself. Just, like, trying to channel in Luna. Like, she was... I mean, she was, like, what, 13, 14 when she did this? Mm-hmm. Like, she was mm-hmm. invested. I can't think of anything when I was 13, 14 years old that I felt so yeah, invested in doing same, like, like that. Oh, same. Not even a flute. <laughs> That's putting even more pressure mm-hmm. on herself. But she ends up getting called by Fiona, who is the casting director, and she gives her the part, which is super rad, Ooh. super nice. And what was it? She was, like, getting groceries or something. Yeah, and then Fiona's <laughs> like, hey, can you go somewhere where there's not a million people looking at you? basically. You got the part. I mean, like, that's just, like, a really cute story. Like, that's how she got the part. Oh, she's just a normal person that really liked Terry Potter, and voila, opportunity. Also, she talks about how this one girl was in front of her that she was like, I wasn't so worried with the other girls, but this one chick, and apparently that girl was too young, like, just months shy <laughs> of hitting the age, like, minimum, and they, like, told her to go, and Ivana was like, and then I just walked in, like, pure luck. <laughs> Which, hey, things happen. Outwit, so. outplay, outlast. <laughs> so she ends up going to the set and meets all the cast, but she still feels like a fangirl. She's 
really struggles, it seems like, with imposter syndrome. I mean, yeah, she's the new kid. Mm-hmm. Fair. She's like, I don't know how to act famous. I'm suddenly, like, thrust in the limelight. So she buys this fancy-ass, like, Italian leather bag, and she's wearing these, like, ratty clothes with it. And everyone's like, oh, you look great. Yeah, that sounds like something Luna might do. Yeah. She knows all these really obscure facts about all the other actors, but she can't it's like how do you have a conversation with someone when you know everything about them and you've never had a conversation yeah that that goes back to talking about the celebrity worship because you don't want to come off creepy or stalkerish you know you don't want to come out as like a fangirl when you're working with somebody um yeah like as a cop like like you guys are colleagues basically co-workers yeah i don't know about y'all but i was never this invested in celebrities like i feel like the thing that i can most relate to is like hillary hahn like i love hillary hahn but i don't go out of my way to research every single thing about her i might feel like if i was like working with like a flutist that i love like amanda pahood for instance i would be like huh like a little giddy because you know amanda pahood if you're a flutist you know who he is he's freaking magical he sounds great he makes anything sound easy and fluid so of course i'm gonna feel giddy but I don't go up looking up his Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or maybe after you meet him, you go uh, look up some yeah. stuff about him. Uh, maybe, yeah. But, like, I, it's just, like, I don't want to come off, like, as a fangirl. Yeah, I think the three of us aren't really fangirls. Uh, speak for yourselves. Are you a fangirl? Not really, no. Do you do this kind of stuff? Like, do you know everything about No. actors? Or... A- ask me 15 years ago, maybe. But nowadays, I feel not. like I only really know about Taylor Swift. Do you know everything about Taylor Swift? Not everything. I just know that her birthday is December thirteenth. Her lucky number is thirteen. Her social security number is. <laughs> <laughs> she has a house in Rhode Island that I'm gonna go to one day. So you know more than you should. <laughs> anyway, so Avada is. <laughs> Working with some high-profile celebrities, and she's, like, Alan Rickman is God, apparently. I mean, have you seen him? (laughs) Helen Bonham Carter. That's true. Helena was in this one, too. I just love how she says that, like, what is it? The cast members are not really allowed to take tours, like, or show, like, bring people in to do tours at the studios, but unless you're, like, Alan Rickman or something, and I thought that was hilarious. Because they don't want to tell him no. He'll, he'll send him to detention. I wouldn't tell him no either. He'll take 50 points from, from Gryffindor. You're going to the potions class. Mr. Potter. Ah, Miss Ivana Lynch. A new celebrity. <laughs> Can you do voice impressions of everyone? Everyone? Can you uh, please? Yeah. Who else can you do? You're just as sane as I am. My name's Luna. Luna Lovegood. She does not sound like that in real life either. Yeah, she really, she, she really put on that voice for, for the character. She really did. That was, it was great. What's her real voice? I don't know if I've ever heard her speak. Listen to that podcast episode. I will send it to you. I will send it to you when we're done. Hey, you look 
kind of peppy. I am peppy because I just drank a cup of coffee from La Belle Rosette Espresso and Wine Bar. That's in Denver, right? Yep. We are located right across the street from the University of Denver. And do they have more than just espresso and wine? Yeah, we have breakfast burritos, paninis, pastries, teas. We have a lot. If someone was walking through Denver and let's say this person was me and let's say I wanted a panini, when is LaBelle open so I can go and get one? We are open from 7 to 5 Monday through Friday, 7 to 2 on Saturdays, 8 to 2 on Sundays. And if you use the code FPPODCAST, you'll get 15% off your order, whether you're in-store or online at LaBelleRosette.com. That's a really good deal. Totally a good deal, and it's even a better deal when you get to see moi at the store. Is that a good deal? Uh, Not really, but I actually need to head to work right now, because I'm going to be late. Oh. So I'm going to go. Go to La Belle Rosette. Go. Bye. Right now. Drop (laughs) everything. Go. Where are we? Because we really can't stay on topic to save our lives today. She just got the role and is starstruck. So, yeah, she's starstruck, but what also is fascinating is how she kind of watches, like, her co-stars work as well. Um, she notices, like, how some of them, like, get creative doing different things, and I think that also kind of, like, inspires her. I guess that also, like, helps her to, like, grow as an actress, just, like, experimenting these different things. Like, she talks about the creative process with everybody, even though that she's, like, terrified of these people. <laughs> In some shape. I mean, if I were in her place, I'd be terrified slash nervous all the time. Totally get that feeling. But she gets creative with them. And I think that really kind of, like, shows, like, these are artists, too. Like, they're not just celebrities. It sort of breaks down that barrier because we're all, you're, you're all there to do the same thing. I think it kind of helped her get out of her mm-hmm. comfort zone. She said that reading... She said that doing the reads between the scenes, like where they do a scene and then they all huddle together, gave her life. And the thing that I can relate to is whenever I play chamber music, like whenever I'm in like a quartet or something, and that's where I thrive. I have all those like, Mm -hmm. they're hopefully my friends. We are all collaborating, making something together. It is just like a wonderful feeling. It's just so intimate. Yeah, I think that's why I prefer doing chamber music more now these days compared to being in an orchestra because you don't get that much. I think it's different. You can't play off each other Within like much. certain sections. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just really intimate and you really get to know the players too and just hear every little tiny thing when you're in a smaller group mm-hmm. compared to being in this larger ensemble. But yeah, I just found that fascinating. Looking into this realm of a different performing art, in this case acting, it's just you see similar parallels compared to music and like the creative processes are different but there are some similar parallels of like how we experience things and create things in our own way and view things so i thought that was just really cool and that that speaks (laughs) to her being an artiste she's very much in her element when she's around other creatives And I think that helped her grow a lot as well, being in that environment. Going into chapter 10, it seems like she was, like, filming and going to school at the same time, like, flying back and forth between London and Ireland. That's interesting because... That sounds hard. Well, I feel feel like for the, the three, the main trio, they had, like, teachers on set for them. So I get... I don't know if they did that for the later movies or what. Well, she was... 
mentioning like sometimes they wouldn't need her all the time, so she would go back to Ireland. Yeah, she didn't have a ton of scenes in that movie. Usually when they do film, they try to keep the same character scenes like pretty condensed together. Like they try to make use of people's time. Yeah. So if Luna has Mm -hmm. five scenes in the movie, they would try to keep all of her scenes close together and then they would send her back. That's good. For example. That way she can, like, you know, pass high yeah. school. And if she if they needed her, they could call her and be like, hey, we need to shoot, like, two more scenes or something. Yeah, I'm sure it's it's yeah. like what Matt said. I'm sure they did some kind of alternative schooling while she was there. There was a mm-hmm. ton of kids there, and yeah. they do need to be schooled. So if you're going into Chapter 10, this is where I stopped taking notes. So, <laughs> Oh, is this where you stopped taking notes? Oh, snap. Okay. Um. Well, basically, I wrote really middle school notes for this book or this chapter but she basically talks about how like she also while she's like filming she's like living in london kind of by herself she has like a chaperone that lives like in her apartment i guess for all the cast because she's a minor yeah for all the cast they have like an apartment building that other people stay other people stay in that don't really live in london which I was, like, sitting there, and I was like, I feel like my par- if I was in that position, my parents would be, one of them would have been there. They'd have been like, you ain't staying alone. You're staying with right. one of us. Um, but she also gets a boyfriend. Yeah, but most parents can't just, like, drop everything for a month. Like, take a month off of work. And, I mean, nowadays we probably could because it's easy to make everything virtual. Oh, yeah. But, True. you know, back in 2000-whatever this was... Not so much. Oh six, oh seven. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she basically films all day and then dances for three hours afterwards because she becomes obsessed with dancing. Mm-hmm. Again, trying to build herself up after the anorexia, like trying to find different interests, different hobbies. Yeah. She also gets a psycho older boyfriend from the studio. She k- attends these classes and basically... Kind of... Was it Tom Felton? Uh, apparently his name is Marcus, I think, if I'm remembered correctly from chapter 10. I don't know. I can open up, but his name oh, is Marcus. <laughs> uh, at the end of chapter 9, again, going into chapter 10, she does talk about how kind of the thoughts of her eating disorder came back to her because she did some headshots and she hated how she looked in the headshots. Uh, since she's basically like put into the limelight, people are saying shit about her online like "Ooh, this bitch is playing luna like what the hell she's probably just some nobody and she's ugly and yada yada and instead of being which essentially is like triggering in itself like when you read comments like that Mm -hmm. because she she's already like was in this place where she like you know didn't love herself kind of hated herself Yeah. yeah she didn't love herself and then when you hear comments like that when you're trying to recover from something like that, it can be triggering for you to go back into that state again. It's hard. And instead of, I guess, either ignoring it, she kind of joined the online community and bullying herself. Like she wrote, what an awkward, awful cretin of a girl. Did she have to skin a hundred Barbies for that fake blonde wig? How dare she put her stubby little grease stained fingers all over my favorite book. She looks like she bathes in the grease of McDonald's chips as she's storing up her next Big Mac meal in the folds of her flabby cheeks. Ugly, inbred, little troll. I actually really liked her headshot. <laughs> it was like... I think she's kind pretty. Of she, she, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. It's interesting because she like encompassed like every 
sort of troll comment in that one comment. Like she she mm-hmm. she roasted herself from head to toe, and it's like at that point, it's like again, we are our own biggest critic. Like that's what she did. But it's like at that point, what can anyone else say? Like she said it all right there. She said that she kind of felt yeah. the need to out bully herself yeah. more more than the other kids did. It's like okay. if I say it about myself, then no one else can say it about me. Yeah. You're your own worst bully. No one hates me as much as I do. Yeah, it's like, I, you, you think I'm a piece of shit? Mm-hmm. No, I think I'm a piece of shit. Like, I know I'm a piece mm-hmm. of shit, so it doesn't matter if you think it. And it's a lot easier to dismiss other people if you hate yourself that much. Yeah. I guess going into chapter 10, she talks about how she is still obsessed with not growing up, even though she's, like, physically healthier and mentally more healthy. Um, and she talks about how she hasn't got her period yet, and to her, that's, like, the marker of growing out of childhood, which I think, talking to another woman, obviously not you, Matt, mm-hmm. but Catherine, I think... Says who? I don't know about you, but I had this viewpoint where I was like, oh, when I had my period, I cried. Like, it was awful. I was like, I didn't really feel like a woman, but I'm like, oh, shit, I'm not a kid anymore. I'm gonna grow up. When it happened to me, I was just like, damn it. <laughs> Here we go. It was just, but also, like, it was really awkward for me because I didn't really notice anything. I think my dad noticed because he did my laundry. So that tells you anything. Wait, your dad told you that your period started? So he told me, and then I was just like, damn it. (laughs) I just didn't notice. I guess I just, like, didn't notice one day. Like, I came in my laundry, and then he was like, hey. I feel like if it's not something you're looking for, it could be something you It wasn't anything I was looking for, so. But I just remember that, and my Uh, mom cried. (laughs) I used to, like, bleed like a stuck pig, so I noticed. And I used, like, my cramps used to be so bad. Like, I would feel really lightheaded on the first two days of my period. Uh, So it was really hard for me to not notice when I started mine. I didn't notice. I really didn't notice. I don't think, I didn't really feel anything until, like, I want to say maybe a few months after, like, into it. Mine are not that bad either. As bad as, like, I know others have, like, other girls that I'm friends with have expressed to me. But, yeah, um, I just remember being, like, well, this is kind of (laughs) weird. Like, I just, I wasn't really, like, upset. I was just more, like, oh, like, I'm kind of, like, this is just weird to me. And maybe that's just my own take on my body because I feel weird in my own skin sometimes and I definitely felt weird in my own skin back in middle school so just experiencing that made me just kind of feel awkward and everything even though some people are like oh it's like being part of your womanhood and you're a woman and I'm like great it's awful I hated it I'm awkward please don't call me a woman like that's what I would tell people 13 what (laughs) do you remember how she when she was at peaceful pastures she said that her crush on what's his face alfie basically distracted her into accidentally gaining the weight that she needed to gain it's kind of the same thing with this current boyfriend where she was happy and living her life and just kind of eating what she wanted to and just enjoying her life and then she got a point where she actually got Mm -hmm. her period when she was like 16 or something kind of late yeah And she cried about it because, and it just seemed like she was, like, it's like she was not in control of this, you know? She thought she could be in control. I mean, in this case, it's human, it's not human nature, it's mother nature. (laughs) 
human nature. Yeah, like growing up was something that she could just put the pause button on. Like, it's like she's taking beta blockers or something. Yeah, and for this not to happen so long, she was like, well, maybe this won't happen and maybe, like, I'll be fine and, like, you know, this is me in control of my body, but, I mean, there's some things that you can't be in control of and that's one of those things. And, woo, every month is a party. And we get back to the love theme again where she is talking about that having a love of life and, to an extent, love of herself in her eyes was paying a steep price of growing up. So she's like, nothing's going to fuel me like self-hate does. So she kind of gets back into that mindset again. And she's kind of hitting a block in therapy too, where she has gone through a lot with Natasha and Natasha's like, you need to go out and experience life. I think the two things that she's getting on her about are like, you need to have an orgasm or you need to meditate. You need to get to some like higher plane of like thinking and feeling and getting out of yourself I think is really what she's trying to push for you know so that way we can get in further and uncover stuff more and if Ivana is not willing to do that like Natasha can't do much about it yeah it kind of shows that like if you want to do better you gotta have to kind of do the work gotta work bitch you better work bitch (laughs) another Britney Spears quote truly a modern philosopher you want a hot body (laughs) you want a Maserati (laughs) And she just got married, y'all. Let's like let's celebrate the fact that Britney Spears just got Snaps. married. Hopefully, she lives her happiest life. Congratulations, you know, Britney. Free. Says Britney. <laughs> Says Britney. We we get to the wrap of Harry Potter, which Luna has also been sort of hoping that there can be a pause on this. Like she's been asked the whole time, "How's it? Sorry, how is it going to feel when?" Uh, Harry Potter raps and she's like oh it'll be sad but not really I guess understanding what that means and so they filmed the last scene of the Deathly Hollows, and she's like oh shit a whole big part of my life is over and I still want to be an actress like what do I what do I do where do I go I'm sure many other actors and actresses in that franchise felt the same oh, yeah. way especially being a kid actor it's yeah especially the young actors when you've been doing that for, like, a decade, because if you think about it, the first film was 2000, the last film was 2011. That's over mm-hmm. a decade That's mm-hmm. of work. Yeah, and then you're pretty established and known as this one thing. It's like, oh, shit, I need to find something else. Yeah, it's like, how, <laughs> yeah. long, how long did it take? The curse of a child star. How long did it take Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson before people stopped calling them Harry and Hermione, like? Even to this day, it's like, you still see Daniel Radcliffe and you're still like... You'll still like watch movies with Daniel Radcliffe in it. I mean, some of the films that he's in today, they're so He does do a lot of weird movies. But amazing. I think he doesn't care. He's he's made so much money. He can do whatever he wants. (laughs) Yeah, he's earned that. Like, he's been in the big franchise now. So he can just do whatever movies he likes. So getting Um, back to our book. But yeah, basically, it's just kind of like, what do I do... She ends up moving to LA. As you do. Yeah. Where it seems like she's like moderately successful. I think she lives there for like five years or something. And it's. She basically does the hustle, like getting gigs, not getting gigs. um... Living the freelance life. She also talks about like she was doing, like, she basically is doing like different kinds of classes 
coaching. Coachings, yeah, to kind of help her get roles, it seems like. I don't know. She's like, if you can if you can tell me what's wrong and you have a talent and I can pay you for it, then I'll pay hmm. you. She basically just had, like, a whole team of people, it seemed like. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, living in L.A. is also not a very affordable place from what I've heard. Yeah, she decides to move back to London to try that scene again. She does theater stuff, right? It's, that's what she says, yeah. She says it was a little bit different compared to L.A. And so, and it also, it's it's kind of like... It sounds like just how some like how musicians experience it when you are like established in one town and then you have to like move to another city. It's like you have to reestablish yourself because the music scene is completely different. I know in mm-hmm. Denver, for instance, it's completely different here compared to like what I experienced when I was living in Atlanta. So she's like trying to like, I guess, like find her place there, it seems like. And she's not really doing much, I think, towards the end of it. Like, Yeah, she goes through some rough patches. It says in, uh, in late 2017, life dealt me a series of blows in quick succession. A dear friend died unexpectedly. A dream role I had been pursuing doggedly for several months went to another actress. And it was that precise moment in time that my beloved boyfriend, my sweet, adorable, kind-hearted boyfriend of two years, whom I worshipped and adored... And for whom I believed all other ex-boyfriends had been worth enduring promptly and abruptly decided to leave me for a man. So, yeah. Not not exactly the super great spot. And she says that that's when she kind of started getting back mentally towards her destructive thinking, I guess, that led her to struggle with anorexia in the first it's place. It's easy to get into that thinking, though. Just being in that place and trying to work that way out of it you know it's easy to fall back into those habits when that is a place that you have known for so long and and it's comfortable yeah it's comfortable Mm -hmm. it's easy to get into that place that was your old coping mechanism and then she basically finds herself on dancing with the stars which i was very shocked about because i had no clue wait you didn't know that well i think we discovered it on the first episode of this book when we looked her up yeah we, like, went on her Wikipedia page and... I guess the only reason I know that is because my mom watches Dancing with the Stars, so... Oh. I, I know a lot more about it than I would... <laughs> I kind of want to, like, watch YouTube clips of yeah. this and see, like, because... She got third place. She apparently, she, like... Apparently she was good. She got third place. She did dancing classes and stuff. So I'm just, like, curious to see, like, ooh, what does she do? <laughs> Yeah, I don't really watch Dancing with the Stars, so I don't I don't think my parents watch it either. It seems like this was totally out of her comfort zone. She's basically paired with this extremely good dancer from is it South Africa? Yeah. She was really aimed at being like perfect in these dance moves. Just really it reminded me of like how I feel when I'm practicing for like in this case she was working for a dance competition. I feel this way with auditions or any type of competition that I've played in the past where you are constantly over, like, at least in my experience, I have been constantly thinking, okay, like, what can be perfect? What can sound spot on? Because that's what, like, you kind of have to think about when you are doing an audition or if you are performing in a competition. You're playing the same pieces that, like, 50 other people are playing, like, auditioning or competing on. My whole thing has been, like, I need to make sure that I get every little detail down. That way the judges can know that I know it's there. I can, you know, reflect this well in my own interpretation. 
it seemed like she was thinking with her dance moves, like, what can I do to make it perfect? How can I mm-hmm. make this, you know, show the judges, like, I am capable of doing this? And I guess her being overly critical, thinking about that perfectionistic kind of way in her moves didn't really show in the scoring. Like, I think it really just kind of made it more maybe stale. That's how I kind of interpreted it. It is interesting because I'm sure you guys have been on both sides of the judging panel. Uh, You've been a judge and you've Mm -hmm. also been judged. But when you come at it from that perspective, like when I've been a judge, you do think of it like, yes, I am just watching this different people do the same thing over and over again. And the ones that you remember are the ones that stand out, whether they're really good or really bad. So when you think of it from that perspective, it's like, okay, yes, it's nice to be able to be precise and do everything uh, correctly or whatever. But also it's like, how can you put a spin on it to where it's like, it'll spark something. Yeah, but she probably wasn't thinking that way because she's probably never been in that place, like in a judge's place. And like what Brittany said, dancing was like out of her comfort zone. And so she's probably like thinking like, I want to prove to these people that I can do something. And so. And also, yeah, since she took dancing classes, it's probably like her, it's kind of like self-validating in a way to be like, okay, I can do this. This is how I was taught how to do this. So let me prove that I actually went through with this or something like that. Yeah. Apparently her self-criticism got so bad that she, her dance partner was kind of uh, over her basically. And just, he was trying to celebrate with her after they did particularly well in one round. And she was like, okay, well, like, what can we work on? Let's look back at the tapes. And he was like, eh, I'll see you later. And drove He's off. Like, I'm going to get drunk. And so. I'm going to get drunk. This is what she writes. As I watched, is it Keo? I think so. K-E-O? Probably. I guess. Drive away that night, I realized something profound about the choice between positive or negative thinking, between indulging fears or dreams, the worst thing happening or the best thing. And it was that a negative thought abruptly brings things to a halt, whereas a positive one facilitates growth. Negativity always leads you to a dead end. You can crawl into the darkest, dankest corner, and though it is lonely and miserable, you know where the wall is, your back firmly pressed against it, and there's something wonderfully safe about that. When you choose positivity, on the other hand, you choose limitless potential, and whenever you look at... Whatever you look at with positivity grows and spreads and unfurls in a thousand different directions. The realization was exciting and unpredictable, but terrifying, because limitless potential would go on and on forever. There would be no end, and it would be wild and out of control and so far from perfect. If I wanted to reach a safe space where no one could touch me, I needed to only follow a negative thought down to it. But if I wanted to grow and create and evolve, I needed to follow the golden thread of creativity that didn't seem to have an end. It was a choice I had been unconsciously making my entire life. There was no denying it was a choice. So yeah, what y'all were saying earlier about how negative feedback loops, I guess to quote was it Atomic Habits, mm-hmm. will just keep you forever in a safe space of mediocrity for not having a better word for it. Um, if you want to change yourself, change anything, it takes work. You got work, bitch? Yeah. Exactly. Chapter 11 gets really in-depth about her recovery and the mindset behind it she was talking about how she gets a lot of letters from fans and people i guess that have heard her story 
about how to basically uh, work through an eating disorder, how to recover from one, and she just basically would hide them, like put them away in a box, and then it continued on into getting another box and another box and just like putting the letters aside because she didn't really... Anything that she would say would be like meaningless platitudes and she's like I never really got over it it doesn't feel like I got better you know a a third of the people who struggle with anorexia die from it is what she says yeah and I can kind of see how she would be hesitant at answering stuff like that because it's like how am I sure of answering this question when I'm not even sure myself don't she cautions bitterly. It's not worth it. You'll never find the same security and solace from your dreams as you do from your disorder. Every day you'll feel flawed and vulnerable and ordinary, and you'll find that life stings a thousand times more without your armor of skinniness. You'll know that you're deeply and curably flawed, and some days you won't be able to cope with that, and all you want is your comforting dysfunction back. And I, I think that's a very, it's a very concise way to put it. That's not really the word I'm looking for, but it's like... Do you mean blunt? Yeah, kind of. But it's, it's, it's basically her saying, it's like, there's no, it's not like the end of a movie where it's like, oh, I overcame this challenge and now I'm okay again. It's like, you'll always have days where you slip back and you feel like, how am I getting through this? I don't know what I'm doing. You'll always have days where you still aren't feeling the, the self-love or that you made any progress. So it's like, it's not like meant to be like, a perfect ending to oh look at me i overcame anorexia thumbs up go me it's more of like hey i'm still here and i'm still fighting through it but i'm better than i was in a way if i were to answer them i would have to confess my most shameful secrets that i recovered partially by brute force and partially by accident that i merely fell in love with the world at pivotal moments and lost myself in its vast alluring worldness only to look back when I once again found myself assaulted by its dangers to realize too late that I strayed too far from the lonely, perfect island of perfection. And I would have to admit that recovery felt much more like surrender than like strength. So she doesn't know how to respond. And you can tell that these letters weigh, weigh on her. In this chapter two, she talks with her parents. Um, it kind of goes to talking with her parents about interviewing them for the book and their reactions and also talking to Natasha. She says that she doesn't go to therapy much anymore just because it's been like 20 years and she's can manage most of her problems by herself, but she still goes occasionally. And she talked to Natasha a lot for this book. And Natasha said her way of explaining eating disorders was it's a safe problem. An eating disorder is always a safe problem that keeps us protected from a risky adventure, but you will ultimately make a decision to play a life out full or live a smaller life that feels certain and safe. And of course, the irony is that the safe problem becomes the riskiest of all. The safe problem, if you continue down that path, becomes the rock on which you perish. So you kind of need to remove emphasis on food and on weight. Um, in order to kind of better yourself, I guess, to recover from an eating disorder. And you know what that is? Hmm. You know, that is choosing what to give a fuck about. Yeah. Hey. Throwback. I, it's basically, like, there's always something that we can focus on. Out, like, that's basically what Natasha was like. There's something higher that you can always focus on outside of your disorder. It's like, 
what do I choose to focus on? This that has been kind of putting me back or something different? Yeah, for me especially, it's like when I have a laundry load of things that I'm doing, it's a lot harder to uh, be inside my head and overthink things because I'm just doing stuff. But during the summertime, when things suddenly slow down, I'm like, uh, overanalyze everything. I mean, it is what you give a fuck about. It is what helps you live, what helps you get through, where can you redirect your energy? What is your purpose? What means the most to you? She talks to her mom, and her mom says that she struggles with has struggled with anorexia until she was like 29 when she was pregnant with her first kid because her dream was to be a mom. I like that Matt tied our books together even more. That's why I'm here. It's all about what can you purposefully and positively redirect your energy towards. Do you want it to be self-destructive and inward and hateful or do you want it to be like, what do you want to do in life and how do you do that? And it's a, it's a difficult thing to train your brain to do. It takes people for mm-hmm. their entire lives to figure that out. She also talks about how she starts getting into dance and, like, circus read, trapeze artist kind of stuff. Like, silks is what they call it. Yeah, and how she finds that moving her body in a way that causes her to care for it and like marvel in a strength is really therapeutic for her she begins to appreciate her body a little bit more too um she expresses that because she says like the things that you do with silks and i've seen it i've seen it in but i've never done it oh i've seen it too it is it is scary impressive (laughs) it looks terrifying it's intense but I, i i mean if you think about it it's she's like saying you know it's fascinating how what the things that you can do with your body when you move around and climb up the silks and balance yourself on them. And I think doing that has given her this like healthy coping mechanism of loving her body a little bit more and appreciating like, I mean, I feel the same way with certain things when I go running or um, last summer I went rock climbing and I was like, wow, I haven't done this in years, but it's like really fun to like see how you can get from the bottom to the top and just like use all the strength you can to get to that peak moment. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm a high energy person. Um, I never struggled with an eating disorder, but I've been pretty open on this. I struggle with um, anxiety and I do have my own trauma that I'm working through. And I find that releasing a lot of my emotions through physical ventures is very rewarding for me like valkyrie and i went for a three mile trail run this past weekend and it was liberating like i felt so fucking accomplished and it does Mm -hmm. teach you how to love and care for your body like being intimately like physical with yourself and it teaches you how to care for yourself and view your body you've been your body's been supporting you like this whole time and your whole life and why would you mistreat it she kind of has a moment of clarity here where this is after one of the silks class, I think. And the instructor's like, you, sh- you all should hug your bodies because they're strong. And she, the closest that she gets is she kind of like rubs her upper arm. And that's basically it. 
she says, I climb up the steep hill to my apartment with every muscle protesting painfully. Ow, ow, ow. My body seems to say with every single step, cranking along like a rusty old tin man. And I find myself answering it, whispering, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Under my breath. I notice I'm still stroking my arm and I have been doing so all the way home. I feel a tremendous inner sadness as I rummage through my bathroom cabinets for bandages and ointment to wrap up my blistered hands and slather my bruised knees and thighs with ar- Arnica? Ar- Arnica cream. I guess it's something that they sell in Europe. AKA uh, Amber Heard's favorite kind of cream. They, they, it was a big part. It was a big part of the trial. That's why I laugh. Oh, interesting. I collapse on my couch in exhaustion. Then my eyes caught by the side of my own hands curled in my lap. My hands are small and stubby, chubby little hobbit hands. I huff angrily at anyone daring to call them cute. And now as I stare at them, they look so much like a child's hands, and I don't know whether it's just because I'm tired or because of the intense physical ache all throughout my body, but suddenly my own blistered bandaged hands look so helpless, so lonely, and unloved that I start to cry. I stare at these little trowels of mine, that they have only ever done their best, that they've been doing their best for 30-odd years, serving me faithfully, keeping me alive, and diligently weaving my dreams with their crenulated fingertips. And I cry because even, and I cry because even they have not escaped my contemptuous ire. I cry and cry, and it's like something has become unstoppered in me, and suddenly I can't bear how cruel I've been to my body. All these years, I've been treating her as my slave. She's been asking for food, rest, love, pleasure, grace, or failing all that plain, simple acceptance. I think of all the times I've denied her those things, and how she's carried on doing my bidding anyway. I think of how, instead of defending my brave and resilient body from the world's hatred, misogyny, and criticism, I've instead turned away from her and joined in the chorus of slurs and taunts, easily taking my place as her loudest aggressor. I think of how she keeps going anyway. I think of how hard it is for her to face a world that will gawk at, objectify, deride, and dismiss her. I make her feel wrong for even existing, and I think of how there is no respite from that spite, even even in the silence of her own home. Some really fucking powerful writing right there. I was about to say, I think that speaks for itself. The afterword explains why it's called the opposite of butterfly hunting. Which I, okay, when I, before I read the afterword, I noticed the cover. Yeah. Because she talks about the pins, and I didn't notice the pins until right before I read maybe the last chapter. Like, I looked at the cover, and I was like, oh, there are pins on the butterflies. Yeah, I didn't notice that till like, halfway through the book. I was like, why are you stabbing something that's so pretty? And that's essentially the whole thing of the afterword is there's this uh, guy who studies butterflies, and in order to study them, he... Um, Ivana is, like, looking at these beautiful pictures of butterflies in books because she sees butterflies as, like, a symbol of transformation and beauty. Mm-hmm. which is obviously really important to her. She's looking at these pictures and she notices that there's pins in them and there's this note from a guy who studies butterflies. There's an f- official name for it and I can't pronounce it because I'm a dummy. But he basically says that he has to like kill them and then pin them down in order to like examine them. And and she's kind of like, oh, like they're so beautiful, but they're dead. Like, you gotta keep it beautiful forever by killing it. The opposite of butterfly hunting is choosing not to struggle. Like, capture them and keep them for, like, safekeeping. It's like, let them be free, let them live. And that's kind of, like, that's it kind of, like, parallels to her eating disorder. Instead of, like, ca- like you know, staying trapped, 
you know, in her struggles with, you know, anorexia and all this, like, I guess, like, just being kind of stuck in her eating disorder. She's, like, living freely, and she's kind of, like, moving forward in her recovery with her life, you know? But it's beautiful. It's a very beautiful story. Very beautiful book. So, Matt, uh, we do a... Okay, Bartok. We do a thing where we rate the books that we've read. Um, What would you rate this on a scale of 1 to 10? I will put it at between 8 and 9. It's very honest. That's really what got me, is just the raw honesty of this is my life, this is my story. And I Mm -hmm. think she did a good job of also, her writing style is also not too flowery, but it's very artistic, if that makes sense. I would rate this, um, I think I'm going to rate this a nine. I, I think out of all the books that we've read so far, this is my favorite. And I think it's just because I can't relate personally on that level of experiencing an eating disorder and like, you know, going through the struggles of that. I think kind of looking into the lens of that perspective is very I found that to be very interesting and to kind of see like, what do people who have experienced this go through? Like, what are they thinking? And it kind of, Ivana really takes this in there and just like what Matt said, she's very honest and real and raw about this. And she doesn't, it's like, there's no filter to what happens when you go through that. And I think I, I really, on a personal level with, with like my anxiety and my depression, and I'm working through that right now. And I think I think this is my favorite book because I can relate to that. And I think it's helping me kind of like understand certain things and view things a little bit differently. I think it's a very just like enlightening kind of like book to read and kind of see that, you know, even though Ivana Lynch, like we know her more from being on Harry Potter, she's a real person. And same with other, like, authors and celebrities. Like, they're real people that go through shit. Ivana is one of them, and she, like, she just shared through this book, and it, I just really love it. (laughs) She does a really good job of, like, bringing you into her world. I think I would give it a 10 out of 10. I absolutely love this book. I fell in love with her writing style. I love how she made it relatable really to any form of mental illness or trauma that you might have experienced in your past so you can see and relate to what she has gone through and apply it to your own life. I don't know, I just loved everything about this book. I encourage, I highly encourage everyone to read it. I feel like I've been telling everyone I know that they need to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah. very brutal, very brutally honest and very relatable and I would love to see any other books that she would. Yeah, for real. You're welcome, Brittany. Put out. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, Matt thanks, was the one Matt. who recommended this to us, so. Yeah, for real. Thank you. This is good. I think this is my favorite book that we've read on the podcast, too. Yeah, I think, like, beforehand, I was like, no, I'm going to do do nothing because I was, like, a slap on it. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's silly. But this one, this is, I think, out of the entire, like, all the books that we read so far, this is, like, the top. I couldn't put it down. I couldn't either. I had a really hard time putting it down between each episode. I'm telling you, like, reading chapter nine, all I wanted to do was watch Order of the <laughs> Phoenix after <laughs> So 
like, I just want to watch the last four Harry Potter films. You you watch it from a new perspective. <laughs> I, I really That's will, true. actually. Matt, thanks for joining us. Is there anything that you want to plug? Um, as usual, mm, conversation. Mm. Uh, 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 three M's, an underscore, conversations on Instagram. And then that's on Spotify also. And, you know, uh, we talk about books and other such things. Uh, our next episode is actually going to be about pride and the plus in yeah. LGBTQ plus. All the things that people don't oh. really talk about. So um, that's interesting. It, it should be a Excited. fun time. So if you want to follow us on Instagram, we are at Fiddle and Pipe. And if you want to follow us personally, I am at Cat Flinch Flute. And Brittany is at BMRS Music. I am. And if you want to join us on Facebook, we are on at Fiddle and Pipe Forum. <laughs> so you can join us there. Yeah, you got mixed up just like I usually do. <laughs> For a second, I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> we plugged our Patreon at the beginning, but if you love our show and you feel like we you know, could use a couple dollars a month to help run things, buy the various books that we read, buy and update recording equipment. You can find us on patreon.com slash fiddle and pipe. You can also rate and review our show on Spotify and Apple podcasts. And you can rate, oh wait, I just said rate and view. You can, um, 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 um. you know, just share our podcast to anyone, you know, your hamster, yeah. your neighbor, the grocery store clerk, whatever works for you. We will have two non-book episodes and then we will be debuting episodes of our next book, which is uh, The Practice. The Practice by Seth Godin? Godin? Or Godin? Godin. I'm going to say Godin because Godin, it would probably have two Ds, not one. That's true. So We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll have that down before we start those episodes. Eng- the English language, you guys. You know, sometimes it's complicated. English is hard. Seth Godin, probably. Godin. Godin. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all for now. So we'll see you next week. Yeah. Meow, 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 meow.